Our scripture reading this evening is found in 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll read the entire chapter, and we'll be treating the first 11 verses, which truth is summarized in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 4. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God 
on this behalf. For the time has come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. That far we read in God's holy inspired word. I'll be referring to a number of verses in the first 11 verses, but that is summarized in verse 1. I'll read that again by way of introduction. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, God calls you and God calls me to arm ourselves with the same mind. That is, arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. And that exhortation applies to all of us in every area of life. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ in your marriages. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ in the workplace. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ in the school, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ wherever God calls us, wherever he puts us, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Married and single, elderly and the youngest of children, there's no minimum age or maximum age. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. The inspired apostle, you understand, is speaking to everyone of God's children who are pilgrims and strangers in this world. God, by his grace, has made us to be pilgrims and strangers. He chose us before the foundation of the world, so that we, in time, would be pilgrims and strangers. He sent Jesus Christ into the world to suffer for us, to redeem us, so that we would be pilgrims and strangers. He regenerated us, making us pilgrims and strangers in this world. And therefore, we have the hope of a glorious inheritance. God is reserving that inheritance for us and he is preserving us in the way 
as we make our pilgrimage to that inheritance. While we wait for that glorious hope to be realized, we ought to expect trials and heaviness. That's one of the main themes that Peter hits upon over and over in this letter in 1 Peter. We ought to expect trials and heaviness. And how shall we live while we wait? 1 Peter speaks of that. We ought to live in holiness, a holiness that seeks to glorify God. Be ye holy, for God is holy. Be holy in all manner of conversation, but if we're going to live in thankfulness, if we are going to be holy, we have to have a certain mindset. That's what our text is about. We have to have the mindset that Christ had. And that's the exhortation of the text. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. That's what God calls us to. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. So let's look at that uh, this evening. Look at the text under that theme. And notice in the first place the meaning of that. Secondly, the reason we are called to arm ourselves that way. And lastly, the manner. What is that going to look like when we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ? Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Notice when the apostle gives that exhortation, he first tells us to look at or shows to us Jesus Christ. Notice the order of the text. For as much then as Christ hath suffered. First the apostle has us look at Christ. And he speaks of the suffering of Christ. And after he has us look at Christ, then he says, arm yourselves likewise. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Well, what does that mean? We have to understand what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What is that mind that the apostle is speaking of? And that's not hard to see. The mind has to do with our thoughts. It has to do with our intentions and purposes. Look at the way Christ thought about things when he was upon earth. Look upon his purposes when he 
was on earth and how he, by the motives that he had, how those motives drove him to do what he did his whole life. And now you have that same mind. Think in the same way that he thought. Well, how did Christ think? What was his mind? What was he of a mind to do? And we know the answer, of course. Christ was on a mission. From the very time he was a child, children, Do you remember what Christ was doing when he was 12 years old? Do you remember the story? When his parents left him behind in Jerusalem, they had gone up to the Passover feast, and he was so intent, he had such a mind for his mission. that he stayed behind and he asked and answered hard questions. He was asking theological questions to the experts in the law so that when his parents came back to him and finally found him, what did Jesus ask his parents? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Don't you know that I'm on a mission? And that was when he was 12 years old. There's no minimum age to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. Already when he was that age, he showed his mind. We see that throughout his life when he faced the temptations of the devil. As soon as after he was baptized, the spirit drove him into the wilderness. But he had a certain mind. He had certain motives so that when the devil tempted him to draw him away from his father's will, Jesus kept pointing again and again to the word. It is written. And he was determined to do the will of his father. He would not take the easy way out. He was on a mission. And as his time on earth drew to a close, and you could go through his whole ministry and see how his motives and intents affected everything that he did. As that time drew to a close, he told his disciples that he was of a mind. He told his disciples what was on his mind. He was going to Jerusalem. And there he would suffer. And he would be delivered over 
And he would be crucified by the Jews. Peter tried to stop Jesus. Peter said, this shall never be. But Jesus was of a mind to do the will of his father. You could say that was all that was on his mind. And so what does he say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God. Your mind is not on the things that are of God. My mind is to do the will of God, even if it means great suffering. We catch a glimpse of the mind of Christ throughout his ministry, his lifelong mission. Throughout that whole mission, he was willing to do the will of his Father, to suffer for you and for me. First look at Christ. And that's what the text does. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. And then comes the exhortation. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. That's not difficult to understand. There's the pattern. We, of course, are not going to suffer in the same way that Christ suffered. We are not going to make a payment for sin like Christ made a payment for your sins and mine. But there is a pattern. Arm yourselves with the same mind. Arm yourselves. And there's a picture of warfare. When, you're, when you are going to go to warfare, you arm yourselves. And the word that's used in the original gives that picture of warfare. Put on this heavy protective armor. And the warfare that possibly was in Peter's view when he wrote this epistle was the kind of warfare that the Greeks would engage in. They would put on heavy protective armor and then the warriors would march lockstep next to each other in a great line, one line going that way, one line going that way, and all the army would march together against the enemy. And if the enemy was able to break through that line and break this army in two, if the enemy was able to come around 
the back of the army, you can see that that would throw the entire battle into chaos. How important that all this army, having their armor put on, marching together, how important that they would be of one mind, that they would all work with the same purpose, all marching together against the enemy. We are in warfare. The Apostle Peter understood the warfare. He knew the wiles of the devil, and he says, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves with that highly protective armor. Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Go into battle with that armor. Go into battle with the same purpose and the same goal that Christ had. Be absolutely determined to do the will of God. Be absolutely determined. Have a mind for the things of God. Don't be distracted by the things of the world. Have a mind for the things of God. Have a mind that is willing to suffer. For God's sake, if being a witness brings suffering, have a mind yet that is willing to suffer for God's sake. Have a mind that desires the glory of God in all things. Are we ready? Are you ready? Am I ready to engage in spiritual battle? Arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Just as Christ, our captain, was absolutely determined to do the will of God, Arm yourselves with that same determination. The reason why you and I are called to arm ourselves with the same mind is that Christ has suffered for us. That's the connection of the text. That is first, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us. Christ has suffered for our benefit. He took our sins upon himself. And then he suffered so that he could earn for us all the blessings of salvation. He suffered all the torments of hell so that 
by earning for us those blessings, he could bring us to God. He could bring us into covenant fellowship with God. By his suffering, he purchased all of our salvation, paid for all the blessings that God gives to us. And now our calling grows out of that truth. Our calling grows out of the life that Christ has purchased for us. It's not this. The Apostle Peter is not saying, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ so that you can unite yourself to Christ. Arm yourselves and then you can be part of God's people. Just the opposite. We are not called to have the same mind in order to bring us into union with Christ, but we are called to have the same mind because we have already been united to Christ. Union with the suffering of Christ has given rise to our calling to have the same mind. That's indicated by our text. After it speaks of our calling, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, the Holy Spirit shows the reason for that. And the reason is connected to our union with Christ. And this is a difficult passage, but I believe this is the idea. And we ought to understand when it says, when it gives this reason, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, it gives this reason, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. That's speaking about believers. It's talking about believers who have ceased from sin. Well, what does that mean? It's not saying that we have stopped sinning altogether, but the idea of having ceased from sin is this. Romans 6 verse 2 has the same idea. Romans 6 verse 2 says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? There is a sense that you and I have been made dead to sin. 
And that's the idea of our text as well. We have ceased from sin. We have ceased from sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. We are dead to sin because of the work of Jesus Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. Now it is true. We still sin daily. We sin in everything we do. But we are no longer under sin's dominion, under sin's absolute control. We are no longer because we have been united to Christ. Sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. Why do we have this calling to put on the mind of Christ? Because by the grace of God, as we are united to Christ, we are dead to sin. We have ceased from sin, from sin's dominion. And what's the result? of being freed from sin's dominion, of being set free in Jesus Christ. He that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. And here's the result, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of of God. When God graciously saves us, when he regenerates us so that sin's dominion is broken, then according to that gracious work, God turns us away from living according to the desires of the flesh, turns us away from living according to those desires that unbelievers live. They live by and according to those desires. God turns us away from those evil desires, and he turns us to do the will of God. He has set us free. Why should you and I arm ourselves with the mind of Christ? Why should we engage in spiritual battle? Because our old man has been crucified with Christ. The dominion has been done away with. We have ceased from the dominion of sin. Well, knowing that reality we have the beginning of that salvation in this life. Now the apostle goes on to explain that. And I say this is a difficult passage. But the apostle goes on to explain that in verse 3. For the time past 
of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, That's the description of the time past before God regenerated us. That's a description of man apart from the grace of God. And now the apostle says that time past may suffice us. If something suffices, it's enough. We say to our children sometimes when they're, maybe when they're being naughty, we say, that's enough. And I believe that's the idea of the apostle here as well. The time we spent before God has given us spiritual life, that time carrying out the sinful will of the Gentiles, that time suffices. In other words, that's enough. We have spent enough time doing the will of the Gentiles, living in rebellion. We've spent enough time, enough already. We've spent enough time conducting ourselves indecently. Enough time desiring those things that God forbids. Enough time getting drunk or feasting excessively. Enough time following abominable idolatries. Enough already. That's the idea of the text. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Why? Why is that enough? Because God has worked in us a glorious change. He has begun the work of salvation in us. He has made us strangers and pilgrims. And we heard that this morning. It's true. It's only a small beginning. But even the world can see a difference. The apostle declares that. Even the world sees we are different. Notice what the apostle says in verse 4, wherein they think it strange 
Now with that new life that God has given us, they think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot. Speaking evil of you. By God's grace, we have ceased from sin as regards its dominion. And according to that life that Jesus Christ has given to us, you and I now want to live according to the will of God. Even if the wicked speak evil of us. Why arm ourselves with the mind of Christ that is willing to live as God commands us to live, that desires to do the will of God no matter what the cost? Because we have the life of Christ. Because we have a new life. We have ceased from sin. Enough already. Well, then the apostle goes on to describe what that will look like when you and I arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. What is that going to look like? We will keep the end in view. When we have the mind of Christ, we will think of the end. Well, what is the end? He refers to the end in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Well, the end of all things is not just the last day of history. It's not just the end, like we might think of the end of a book, but the end is the goal. The end of all things is the destination to which God is bringing the entire universe. It's the destination of every pilgrim and stranger. The end of all things is the goal that God has for his creation. And that goal is the final realization of the covenant. Bringing all of his people into covenant fellowship with Jesus Christ. And now the apostle says, the end, that goal, is at hand. Jesus Christ has paid for all of the blessings of salvation, paid the penalty for our sins, earned for us the right of sonship. He has risen. 
He has ascended up into heaven. And now he rules from heaven. He sits at God's right hand and he rules over all of, his his, all of history. And the very next event is the end. It's at hand. All that has to happen is for the elect to be gathered, all the elect to be gathered, and then Christ will return. Then the goal will be accomplished. And all the suffering of this present world, suffering from sickness, and disease, and injury, and every other kind of suffering, emotional and physical, all that suffering will be done away with. All tears will be wiped away. The goal will have been accomplished. It will be accomplished when Christ returns. When you and I arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we will think of the end. We will think of the goal. This life is not all there is. Christ had that mind. He kept his mind on the goal. And he kept that goal in view in all of his suffering. Yes, he understood the suffering that he was to face. He understood it so well that he sweat great drops of blood in the garden. He understood that suffering as he yelled out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He understood that suffering. But he also knew the glory that would follow. And he kept that goal in view for himself and for his people. He knew what his suffering also would mean for his people. And so the apostle reminds us, what will it look like when we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ? We will keep the end of all things in view. And we will remember that that end is at hand. It's not far off. For some of us, it's closer than others when God will take us into glory. And maybe we, some of us, will be here when Christ returns again. The end is at hand. And therefore, in the midst of your suffering, keep that goal in view, as Christ did. Be sober. That's verse 7. 
Be sober. Cultivate a practical wisdom that thinks seriously about that goal, that thinks seriously about our own existence. Why are we here? Be sober. Be watchful. Be sober and watch. Be alert for the wiles of the devil. Jesus warned Peter, watch, because the devil goes about and he wants to sift you. Be watchful, be sober, be watchful in a way that leads us to pray. When we are sober, when we are watchful, we will pray for grace. To put on the mind of Christ then, we will pray for grace to carry on in the midst of this world. When we are armed with the mind of Christ, we will keep the end in view, the end of all things. We will be sober and watchful unto prayer. And we will walk in fervent charity. These thoughts are not just disjointed thoughts, but they all flow out of arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. Verse 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. in a special way, among yourselves, in this congregation, have fervent charity, have fervent love one for another. That's the idea, of course, of charity. Simply the word love. Not a lukewarm love, not a half-baked love. Have fervent Charity among yourselves. Love the brethren as fellow pilgrims and strangers. Love one another in a way that seeks the good of one another. Have compassion on those who are needy. Seek to help the brethren. If God commands us to love even our enemies, to pray for those who despitefully use us, how much more should we have fervent love towards the brethren, those who are fellow members in the body of Christ? Arm yourselves with that mind of Christ, with that fervent charity. That's what Christ had for his people. He had 
a fervent love. So much so that he was willing to suffer and die for us. Well, that love will show itself in a number of ways. We will be committed to love others even when they have sinned against us. That happens in the church. We sin against one another. Notice that fervent charity, when we are called to have that fervent charity among yourselves, it gives the reason for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. We ought to seek to cover, if we are able, those sins. Charity shall cover a multitude of sins. When we have that fervent charity in the second place, we will have hospitality one to another. Fervent love will show itself in hospitality. And that word especially refers to uh, saints from other congregations. It's being friendly to strangers. Well, if we love the members of our own congregation, we ought to love the members of Jesus Christ from other congregations. Lovely thing to see when saints invite strangers to their houses, maybe ones they didn't grow up with. I experienced some of that this week. Thank you for that hospitality. But that's part of arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. It's not, well, if I have to, but it's because I want to. And thirdly, if we have the mind of Christ, if we have that fervent charity, well, then we will seek to use the gifts that God has given to us to minister to others. And all of us would desire to have greater gifts. But the point is not how great the gifts are. The point is use the gifts that God has given us. Even though we think those gifts are Small, use those gifts. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. Well, maybe that gift involves speaking. If any man speak, verse 11, let him speak as the oracles of God. Willingly use the gifts that God has given to us, but that could involve all kinds of 
different gifts. Speak a word of encouragement. Speak the truth of God for the edification of the body. Whatever way God has blessed us, having the mind of Christ means that we want to use those gifts for the good of the body. But ultimately, we use those gifts for the glory of God. Ultimately, if we arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we will want the glory of God. That was the mind of Christ. In all of his life, he wanted his Father to be glorified. That was his mission. And now to put on the mind of Christ will look like that too. In your life, in my life, we will want God to be glorified. In the words that we say about others, in the words that we speak to others, in the way that we help others, in everything we do, in the way that we work, we will want God to be glorified. That's the way the apostle finishes this section. After he says about doing everything as of the ability that God giveth, then he gives this final reason that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Is that your goal, beloved? And is that my goal? How we need the grace of God so that we would arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. May God grant that to us to the glory of his name. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we fall far short. And so we see why we need to hear this admonition to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. Give to us grace, we pray, that we may be determined to serve thee, to honor thee, to glorify thee, no matter what the cost. Forgive us where we have sinned against thee. Forgive us where we have wrought the will of the Gentiles. And lead us by thy spirit that we would walk in thy ways.
Keep us now in thy care. Bring us back at thy appointed time again to worship thee. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.